heroes and welcome at the coalface. This is a conversation among friends working in international affairs. We share stories about our life in the real world and hope that a few interesting insights come out. Today I'm speaking with Nino Kalandadze. Nino is a fellow classmate graduate from GMAP, a member of the Chuchos, the name of our team for the first half of the program. Nino grew up in the Georgian Soviet Socialist Republic and read law in Germany as the Soviet Union broke apart. She returned to her country to take part in shaping its fledgling institutions and politics through some of its most dramatic moments of recent history. Nino radiates the energy of her convictions and belief in change without being ideological, which I really enjoy. Hello, Nino. Great to see you. I'd been looking forward to our conversation for a long time. Hi, Phil. Thanks a lot for this opportunity. It is a pleasure to be part of this amazing project, this brilliant idea to collect and share former GMAP graduates' stories. And um, it's, uh, you know, it's really lovely you're trying to keep us connected and informed about each other's developments. Yeah, thanks, thanks, Nino. Uh, we we are still still early in the in the journey. This is uh, one of the first uh, episodes, so really trying to take this uh, make this take off and get get off the ground. Um, so I'd I'd like to um, to start off by uh, doing a little time travel and mm-hmm. um, uh, going back to uh, to two thousand eight, mm-hmm. and uh, I believe you you were newly appointed as uh, deputy foreign minister of Georgia. And uh, by coincidence, hmm. um, I was happily enjoying um, the ski slopes of Gudori uh, with a belly full of uh, Khachapuri cheese bread. <laughs> and, uh, in 2008? Doing, yes, in, uh, in, in March, around March time. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. And uh, doing a history tour around Gori. And I have uh, hmm. amazing memories of, of, uh, of that. Uh, but um, a few months later, March was uh, safe. Yeah, March was safe. <laughs> it, the it border seemed safe. With, it seemed safe, although the border um, towards Vladikavkaz was already mm. closed. Um, yeah, and then a few months later, uh, hostilities with Russia um, began. And I'd like to ask you: so, where where were you, and what do you recall at the uh, opening of the uh, hostilities? Um, yeah, yeah, it's uh, uh, it's a difficult question. It's a painful memory, in fact, uh, but also a memory that probably um, has uh, you know has influenced me the most throughout my career. There were uh, several uh, challenging. Um, uh, yeah, experiences uh, throughout my career as a public servant and a politician, mm-hmm. uh, but but um, surely the most unexpected and also most difficult challenge was the Russian-Georgian War in 2008. Um, I um, had just, as you mentioned, had just joined the Foreign Service uh, in May 2008. Mm-hmm. Prior to that, I was... Um, uh, I was a uh, member of parliament, uh, serving as a vice chair of the uh, uh, legal committee and um, doing um, really content-wise a completely 
different work, yeah. different from diplomacy, uh, from uh, international politics, obviously, as a member of parliament. Um, I was engaged, uh, you know, in, uh, in, in public debates internationally as well and working with the capitals obviously closely but not in a sense as you know serving for uh, for foreign service and um, you know when uh, in in 2008 um, in august when uh, when the war broke out um, this is a situation where um, all of a sudden you realize all your knowledge and experience mm -hmm. suddenly disappears and uh, yeah. Um, it's gone. You're left alone to mobilize yourself and uh, act just intuitively because mm -hmm. uh, you're not used to this type of crisis management. And you realize there is no book telling you what to do when your ministry falls prey to a cyber war. Uh, the server and uh, you know entire network collapses, and you're told that the ministry should be evacuated because strategic objects are going to get bombarded. Um, and uh, um, you're really, you're on your own. And um, you have, uh, you know, you have your family and you have, it's summer. And yeah. uh, and uh, you need to, you know, you need to make sure that everything functions more or less, that you can focus uh, on your public service uh, and yeah. um, even more of a challenge was uh, to simultaneously launch a diplomatic communication to reach out to all possible partners you know as soon as possible and get international attention in the midst of yeah. august uh, while um, most of the heads of states uh, were either attending the olympic games in beijing or having their vacation with their cell phones switched off i remember desperately calling berlin to make my counterparts to help uh, uh, reach angela merkel and make her answer the cell phone to respond to calls from georgia uh, because that that was desperately needed and uh, no one was available because no one was expected expecting it we certainly knew uh, at some point Russia was preparing uh, for a large-scale war. Yeah. Uh, but uh, this is a belief no one really wants to realize. And uh, our international partners would try to convince us that it is not going to happen. And, uh, and um, also, you know, all the, in fact, all the signs were there and they were very obvious uh, that should have made us understand that the crisis is you know it's it's uh, leading up to a, a hot war but we didn't know when this is going to happen and we certainly did not expect it to be happening you know in August, when all the public serv civil servants were uh, were out of the country and uh, this is it, it. It takes you by surprise, and uh, and um, yeah, you have um, you know at at some point um, you have this feeling of being completely alone, yeah. and just trying to you know to find out what's the best, uh, and um, then obviously with the time when when uh, we managed to reach out to the international community and. Um, and we uh, consolidated um, the power internally because, you know, suddenly we all realized it's a real war and we need to do something. And, and then it's starting 
started to get better. And it was uh, it was an entirely new experience to to lead also the diplomatic talks afterwards, you know, like trying to explain what has happened and communicate to the partners the immediate needs. Because um, I also remember, you do too, um, I'm sure that, um, I mean, the Russians were prepared. They started the war in a very uh, prepared manner in the sense that the propaganda had already spread over the entire world. And it was, and the, the public campaign was completely against Georgia, uh, trying, um, you know, to trying to create this uh, narrative as if Georgia started a war, yeah, insane, insane narrative. You know, this is how it how it works when you are not prepared, and when the propaganda is spread throughout the world mm, before you even start thinking about it. It sounds really terrifying the way you describe it, um, especially the very early time when. There yeah. was no rule book, and yeah. you you were worried, of course, about your your family. But at the same time, you had to be focused on on serving the country. Yeah, absolutely. And do you recall how how was crisis management taking place? Was it was there a sense of contingency planning, or was it very much improvising? Um, it was. Um it was pretty much improvising again, uh, because uh, even though we had expected it theoretically, we were just uh, not prepared. Um, what I would say has helped us in that sense uh, was that um, the society was immediately consolidated. Yeah. And this helped a lot, you know. Um, even though you have. Um, um, I mean, the Georgian society is uh, is uh, very strong in its belief that it is a Western society and that it that its aspiration is the West and uh, and they do understand uh, uh, what the Russian occupation means and what actually the Russian strategic plans towards Georgia uh, is. Nevertheless, um, the historic developments still transformed uh, or influenced the Georgian society in as much as uh, you can still make them believe that it's uh, that that it, that that we need to talk with Russia that we need to understand the enemy that we are you know we have the same history and culture obviously very much propaganda driven beliefs but still this is this is uh, still the fact within the society and uh, um Despite uh, this uh, attitude and understanding, when it came to actual war, and even though the 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 uh, previous government, the government then, um, had already in the society its strong opponents, everybody was truly consolidated. Everybody understood now it's time to stand together and to fight together against this big enemy. And this helped very much um, the government to consolidate and to really, um, you know, um, to, to, to stay focused. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You mentioned in the early stage that it was difficult to make sense of what was actually happening. Uh, and I guess not only that, but to um, see where it was going. Um, how was the information collected and validated 
back in 2000, pretty much uh, quite early after the, you know, after the Rose Revolution, uh, while uh, we have tried um, to uh, to um, lead some diplomatic talks uh, with Moscow. It was uh, on very early stage, from a very early stage on, pretty clear um, that there will be no talks possible. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, that um, uh, Moscow has uh, made it very clear that it uh, won't accept uh, a sovereign Georgia. Yeah, uh, and uh, uh, that it was, uh, you know, that it was a mistake, for example, to uh, um, uh, to let uh, Georgia free Ajara. This is a Black Sea region, um, a coastline uh, region in Georgia that was uh, uh, previously pretty much under the, uh, you know, under the Russian control. It was a proxy regime uh, led, uh, you know, controlled uh, by Moscow. And uh, after the Rose Revolution, uh, we regained, the Tbilisi regained its sovereignty over, yeah. uh, over Ajara. And, uh, and uh, Putin made it very clear um, that this was the biggest mistake uh, he made and, um, and uh, that they were, that Moscow was very unhappy with, uh, with uh, Georgia's new government and governmental decision to have uh, independence, complete independence in sovereign, sovereign yeah. politics uh, within Georgia. So this was uh, this was pretty clear. And uh, since then, uh, no matter how hard we tried to establish neighborly good relationships, yeah. mm, uh, this. Um, this was not possible, and mm. we when we knew it, we also knew it. Um, you know, um, at the very latest, uh, when uh, when Kosovo was uh, recognized uh, by the West as um, you know as uh, in de- well the independent as an independent state. Um, uh, the 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 um, you know Moscow's declaration that they will draw parallels yeah. uh, was uh, pretty vocal and pretty clear, and uh, we knew that uh, um, something is going to happen soon. Yeah. Uh, and they, this was uh, this was uh, the very reason uh, um, why we were trying so desperately to get map. Uh, in Bucharest, because we yeah. understood understood the map as a step, you know, towards uh, towards a more sustainable stability in the region, yeah. uh, particularly for Georgia. And uh, um, and um, but it didn't happen. Yeah. We did not uh, get the membership action plan, and uh, this was. Uh, understood as a clear message for Moscow that they can actually uh, move on with their strategy towards the region and Georgia. And I find it fascinating the the scramble to 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 um, to contact um, European leaders in the middle of the summer. I can I can can really picture it. And it, but it sounds like. Um, the uh, the small state diplomacy that that you worked on was 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 successful. 
and, and any any maybe kind of a key advice and 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 comments on on um how to make kind of small state diplomacy um a success uh well um you, my experience with uh, working um, with the capitals, uh, particularly with the West, with with uh, you know with Brussels and Washington, is that you really need to understand uh, that you are the only one who should be taking care of your country, yeah. and no one is going to do it for you. No matter how strategically relevant and important the region is, uh, and uh, it it is uh, you know the importance is decreasing. And uh, what, you, what you, as a small country, in terms of international affairs, small country, what you really should understand is that you need a clear strategy. Uh, what is your goal? Uh, where are you going? And uh, all you can do is to sell your strategy on a daily basis. Really, you need to uh, you need to approach every door, no matter uh, how annoying it is, <laughs> because the diplomats are getting annoyed. <laughs> and, uh, and <laughs> so, so sounds like a few times you 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 didn't come yes. a, a, across very uh, receptive ears there. <laughs> that yes, absolutely. But but uh, it plays also a big role that everywhere, uh, <laughs> everywhere you also have friends. Are there countries you're not allowed to visit anymore? <laughs> 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 it didn't go that far, but uh, but you know it was uh, it, it was this um, huh, it was this narrative <laughs> that you know uh, Georgia again and <laughs> really <laughs> but this is this is all you can do and uh, and particularly uh, the the non recognition policy uh, as we call it uh, um, after uh, Moscow has recognized the breakaway regions and the occupied regions as independent states. Uh, the very uh, fact that uh, the international community has not recognized them and no, and and uh, the Russians have tried it really yeah. um, hardly spending lots of money and resources on that. Uh, and obviously, Georgia has no resources compared uh, to to Moscow's resources. And still. Uh, there are almost no countries who have followed uh, the the recognition policy, yeah. uh, and it is only due to the really how to say vehement <laughs> struggle on the Georgian side and from Georgian diplomats uh, to just to just push this non recognition policy, and it and it turned out to be a very successful one. This is this is something where Russia has failed. Definitely, because it didn't work out. Georgia, the, the breakaway regions, the so-called breakaway regions, they are a part of the sovereign Georgia, recognized as part of Georgia. Uh, and um, and uh, this is not changing, even though it didn't uh, look like it um, a couple yeah, of years yeah. ago. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
fascinating. This seems there's a, 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 a lot of stories there behind your 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 phone calls to, to capitalize. <laughs> um, I'd, I'd like to uh, to uh, take you back to your 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 childhood actually, mm. and and ask you what what memories you have of your childhood and like uh, what was it like? What was the family environment? What what were you discussing at the dinner table? Uh, well. <laughs> Hmm. Um, my childhood um, may in fact not be very outstanding generally mm, but it still may differ from some of our classmates um, in as much as I was still born in the Soviet Union and I was yeah. raised in uh, still Soviet Georgia and uh, uh, even though it, you know today's perspective is a completely different one um, I remember living, uh, you know, living through an almost surreal world a, a Soviet communist regime would create. I don't know how much our audience knows about it, but I, it felt like, you know, it I felt like a many, bubble. I don't think yeah. many G-mappers and, and people not. listening to this have okay. <laughs> experience of, of living under Soviet times. Yeah, um, no. Mm-hmm. Or, 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 or to... to too too young um, to, to have lived through it, even from abroad, actually. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, that's why I'm just trying, you know, to give you a sense of um, how it was to be, uh, you know, to be a child in the in the Soviet environment, and it was uh, it was like um, a limbo state you were living in, with thousands of senseless stereotypes and misbeliefs uh, within a literally closed society. Uh, without knowing that there existed different worlds somewhere out there, uh, that there exists something like a free world or a free society. And um, just to briefly illustrate the system, it was like living in a society where you, for example, had just three major TV channels, a source of information. Yeah. Two of them aired from Moscow, um, offering you the only ultimate truth. You know, no other news was available uh, other than told uh, by the Soviet propagandist machine. Or it was like um, having a kilometer-long queues just to buy butter, uh, yeah. and uh, obviously only a certain amount that was attributed to your family according to the number of its uh, members. And... Uh, um, the most vivid example of keeping a society away from the actual reality was that um, they would, uh, um, at schools, uh, they would teach us how not to think and not to have our own opinion. Really, we were alien to something like a discussion or debate, whatever was taught uh, and however it was presented to us, this was the opinion we had to share. I recall my um, very first... Um, uh, I don't know, intellectual or even cultural shock when I first came to Western Europe, to Germany as an exchange student. Yeah. And I discovered that there are grades for something like verbal class participation. <laughs> and uh, um, I was shocked because firstly, I did not understand why would anyone want to hear my opinion? <laughs> Secondly, why should we talk about something that has already been discussed by the teacher? And finally, what was the opinion I should have had other than presented by the teacher? You know, it, 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 I mean, it sounds, it sounds uh, almost unbelievable today. And uh, the reason I'm mentioning this is that even though I was a really happy child, lucky to have a beautiful childhood with loving and caring parents, both successful doctors with excellent professional achievements to the extent it was all, at all possible back then, 
those years um, did shape my um, way of thinking, mm -hmm. you know, my mentality, my beliefs. And uh, even though it did give me an uh, advantage to differently face challenges once becoming yeah. an adult and see things differently or in a more informed way from a perhaps a broader perspective, it did take me a long time to overcome those misbeliefs and stereotypes. Uh, however, it made me also more ambitious later to fight the negative effects of the Soviet regime. Interesting. If, if we go back to these student days, so you, mm -hmm. you mentioned you were an exchange student um, and, and you, you, you decided to study law as well. And yeah. You started out in law, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, well, um, I left Georgia when I was uh, 15 uh, and... Uh, you know, even more defining uh, probably uh, was for me the post-Soviet period after the yeah. fall of the Union when, when Georgia has regained its, its uh, independence uh, but was unable to free itself from the Russian influence and political interference followed by a coup, civil war, resulting in the occupation of parts of Georgia and, you know, losing its sovereignty uh, over the parts of the Black Sea region, logically followed by a collapsed economy, extreme poverty, poor living standard, no gas, no electricity, mass corruption, increased criminality. Um, it was, um, I mean, Georgia in the 90s uh, was something like a failed state. And uh, this is certainly an experience that stays with me forever. And this is where I got a chance at the uh, then Georgian school. Mm, uh, I uh, uh, I attended to participate in an exchange program. And um, through a very competitive process, I was able to move to Germany initially for six weeks, in fact. Uh, but... Uh, this period of time coincided with uh, the war breaking out in Abkhazia. Yeah. And uh, I, with two friends of mine, were offered by the, uh, by the school director in Germany uh, to enter the high school with a full scholarship. Uh, and I think, it was, um, I think it was just a humanitarian gesture to give us, uh, you know, simply a chance to overwinter there and not to be forced to go back to a country with completely doubtful future perspectives. Uh, and um, so I, you know, I stayed there for a couple more years and then for more years, uh, in, in my case, a very painful decision for me at the time and my family, particularly for my father, who was already 68 at the time, yeah. and, um, and um, very pessimistic about me coming back ever again. And um, this is... Um, when you mean pessimistic, you mean they... they they thought it would be a bad idea or, or, or sad? They, that you, I think they yeah. were, they did not believe that, that I would ever come back to Georgia. Oh, okay, yeah. They, I, I think they understood, you know, the nineties were, um, very, very sad and challenging years. And, and, uh, a lot of people migrated, uh, back yeah. then and uh, many of them stayed there. Yeah. Many, I'm, I have many friends uh, who left the country back in the 90s and they never came back. And uh, I, mean, I think this was the understanding of my parents as well, that they are losing me, you know? So, so what and, was happening in you at that time? I mean, you, you, you were in Germany and watching um, yeah. the challenges back home and yeah. studying law and what was going through uh, your mind? Yeah, well, uh, firstly, the... the, uh, the uh, 
German high school uh, at the age of 15. I left my country, yeah. as I said, and, and um, I left my family, I left my friends, um, yeah. you know, common environment, and I entered an entirely new world, culturally, socially, economically. Everything was new and different from uh, everything I had known before. Uh, a little, a little. I am. Well, I had. I had uh, German as a second foreign language at right. school, and that was it. Uh, but this is what uh, where I say uh, where my second life uh, begins, and uh, <laughs> it sounds funny today. But even I remember the smell was even different, and the streets and and, and shops, and I still have the smell with <laughs> In your me. Memory. Because, oh, wow. Yeah, because uh, this uh, this was. You know, this was a life-changing transformation. And but luckily, um, I was young enough and, you know, quickly adaptable to the new circumstances. Uh, certainly an entire different challenge for older people who were forced to leave the country in the 90s. I was surrounded by amazingly welcoming and friendly people. The language barrier was overcome quickly because, you know, when you're young, your brain works like a sponge. You True. absorb new information without even noticing that it's happening. And I graduated then from the German high school and achievement that still makes me proud of myself because it was anything but but an easy path from sure. you know for a non-german non-native student coming yeah, from course, the soviet yeah. union with completely different background and um then after i Being had my german on your opinions <laughs> <laughs> exactly yeah. yeah and um then i had my my um, german abitur and i was able to continue my studies in germany and i would have been you know stupid not to take <laughs> that chance um why law that's uh, that's a good question i was um while choosing my future profession um uh, i was certain i was not going to study medicine uh, because uh, I wanted to become something other than my entire family. Firstly, because <laughs> I assumed it would have been um, a you know too easy choice to follow the steps others had already somehow prepared for me. And uh, but if I'm honest, I guess I was just afraid of constantly getting compared with my parents and their achievements <laughs> and being judged by subjective standards. So I just you know I just got cold feed. And I chose the law uh, because uh, public law, administrative law, constitution was something I understood created a civilized society, mm. which I honestly never had in my country. I wanted to know how a well-functioning state works, the institutions, you know, that enable a country to evolve, stably engaging the society rather and the individuals rather than leaving it aside because um, in a in a communist system the individuals just don't matter all that matters is the community and uh, you as an individual are you know you are just part of it, but, but there is yeah. no value to, yeah. to, to, to the individual or to you. And, and obviously there were no, I mean, we didn't even have formal institutions uh, that would, you know, function uh, in a semi-proper way. So this is uh, why I thought uh, law would uh, give me 
would give me a better understanding of, uh, of a functional state. And in retrospect, um, it gave me a big advantage when I came back to Georgia and decided to join the big opposition movement. And... Um, after the, you know, after the after the uh, Rose Revolution in two thousand and three, I I uh, became member of parliament and uh, the co-chair of the um, legal committee. And there, I can, can I stop you for a second? Sure. Sorry, I missed a step. Um, mm-hmm. So you, you were you decided to do law, mm-hmm. and clearly there was a. A desire that started growing to for for you to use law to help your country, uh, and then you decided to go back. But also to help to help myself understand uh, what a functioning state is, what it looks like, yeah, how what it, it works looks in. like, yeah. And and then at some point you must have decided to go to back, go back, yeah, and, and, and not not just to go back and and do anything, but actually to to. To work on changing things, right? Yeah. Can, yeah. can you can you share a little bit how that happened? Because I mean, um, you, you were you were you were young. Um, yeah, I was a student, uh, and uh, uh, well, um, you know, somewhere in in the back of my head, I always had this desire to to go back yeah. uh, at some point. Also, subjectively, again, my father was pretty old then, and um, I I did want to spend. Uh, you know, time with my family and in my country, even though, I, I mean, I loved Germany and it was my second home, definitely, because, uh, you know, you graduate there from, from the school and then you continue with the studies and you have all your friends there. And it, it was like a family to me as well. Uh, but um, I didn't see, I mean, I studied in Germany on a scholarship basis, obviously, because my, my parents could not afford it to pay for it. And when you are supported by a Western state that makes you, you know, that helps you achieve things, um, then it only makes sense if you really can uh, apply it for something reasonable. I mean, um, becoming a lawyer in Germany as a Georgian student, I mean, what, what is it? <laughs> uh, you know what I mean. It yeah. was. Uh, uh, it, it's. Um, it, it would. It would make the the entire effort pretty senseless. You know, to use it just for personal advantages when you know, back in your country there is a society that needs that needs change, and there are. And it's not just a society. It's your friends, your family, your parents, yeah. your yeah. brother. You know, and. Um, and uh, uh, in in um, in the back of my head, I always had this wish to go back at some point. I just didn't know when it would happen. And uh, um, in 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 uh, ninety nine two thousand um, around those years, um, I started observing the uh, political changes uh, in my country, and I somehow gained uh, the. Um, uh, not the motivation, but hope that there is there seems to be a light at the end of the tunnel, and yeah. perhaps it's really time for us, you know, the the Western educated people, to go back and to do something reasonable, actually reasonable for your country, not just for yourself, but really to um, to do something uh, to to make a change and. Um, 
I was uh, I was able the the uh, the legal regulations in my country were pretty shaky at that time, and I was uh, I could uh, easily transfer uh, to the uh, Georgian University, the state university, to the legal faculty. But I started uh, initially I started uh, uh, working within a project as a legal expert. Uh, it was a state project of uh, uh, of a um, as of a German organization, it was a German aid, the GIZ, um, uh, that would uh, work on legal reforms in the region based in Tbilisi, and I joined uh, the crew there as a, as a legal expert. Simultaneously, very much uh, engaging uh, um, with the with the with the newly established opposition party, the UNM, uh, that that seemed to have, uh, you know, it was um, it was pretty unbelievable. But it, but but you saw the signs that uh, this is a party that will that has the capacity to 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 change the government, and um, this is uh, where I decided to join uh, this movement wow. uh, actively. Uh, and uh, yeah, became uh, first a legal advisor to a small group uh, within the opposition, and then actually joining the party. And then soon after, you you felt um, you wanted to become elected. You wanted to join parliament. Actually, how did that transition happen? Um, uh, in fact, it happened uh, without uh, my particular uh, interference because after the rose revolution there were the you know, there were new elections and uh, um, every and um, you know and the UNM had like I don't know 80 percent and I was uh, elected through the party list uh, right. in fact never never directly uh, but I did participate in several electoral campaigns including uh, uh, when I had uh, um, when I had become then later an elected member of the political council the governing board um, of the party so that that meant that at some point, um, you, you started engaging directly with 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 voters with, pe with individuals. With people. Yes, I, I, yes. I mean, that must have been really, really fascinating. Like, um, this is amazing. What, what did you this learn? Is, How did it change you? Uh, it it changed me a lot. It changed my perspective, my understanding. Um, um, while living abroad in a developed country. Uh, no matter how much you know about your country, you just still don't know enough. And uh, it was my observation that, um, you know, for an honest young politician, interacting with people directly, listening to them, discovering that they are so much wiser and knowledgeable than all yeah. the overly self-confident politicians is, you know, it was the best source of inspiration. And in, in, in a socially and economically poor country, when you see people suffer, and and uh, it was the case uh, back then, um, all you want to do is you know, to try and make their lives better, to find ways somehow to help them and provide them possibility, uh, not not as much improve economically, but to you know to help them have a dignified life. But, but how did you manage to connect? Because you 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 came in having spent. Many years abroad, uh, having been Germanified and, and in, 
spend a lot of time in a, with intellectual uh, legal topics and then you go in you go to the street you talk to people who have limited education who've never left georgia yeah and they're looking at, to you to 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 improve their lives and they what do they see and uh, yeah how, how did you how did you connect with them um um it was a challenge um in that sense that um um I mean, after the after the um, after the Rosa Revolution, the majority of uh, of us, you know, the the actual leaders uh, were quite young, yeah. uh, and uh, and um, the the and the the majority of the population had its difficulties to identify themselves, you know, uh, in us and see us as their actual representatives. And that's uh, where it takes a lot of work uh, to interact with them directly because all they know about you is that they see you on TV, on news, uh, in, in, in debates. Uh, and uh, um, and uh, you have to work on connecting with them and finding this chemistry yeah. uh, otherwise uh, it doesn't work and it in 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 my case it was uh, it was um uh, it was challenging because uh, uh, after it, because um, uh, the 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 revolution brought revolutionary reforms and reforms are obviously never popular uh, and uh, particularly people on the front line public faces speakers like myself are often you know they become subject or addressees of a very unfair aggression or judgment. Yeah, yeah. And as a young female politician, you already have to deal with stereotypes coming from yeah. all sides, the society, but also your own colleagues internally. And uh, this is uh, this is probably where I first confronted myself with, you know, competition and power struggle uh, yeah. and, and discovered it is a harsh business, definitely. So... Uh, one definitely needs to have a healthy stomach and, uh, <laughs> and a strong cause not to give up. Uh, that's for sure. But at some point, you manage to prove yourself. That gives you enough, you know, acknowledgement and then also moral authority. And this is where people you interact with, they really help because Georgia is a small country. When you launch a a, um, a countrywide tour to meet people, I mean, uh, if you do it properly, you really meet pretty much everyone yeah. if you want to. And uh, once they know you on a personal basis, then it creates a completely different connection. And uh, and uh, you have also, this, it's difficult, but you have also to stay uh, open, uh, really to answer all the calls, because um, sometimes, mm, sometimes people just need uh, to talk. Yeah. You know, they find you as a elected member of the parliament, uh, and they rightfully believe that you are there to listen to them, uh, and, um, and and you you cannot always help them. Certainly not. But not that but, many other touch points with the government is like you, you're kind of pretty much the only face that they they ever talk to about <laughs> exactly. all their issues. Yeah. But but it gives uh, but it gives them you know sense of being understood, being heard, mm. uh, yeah, being taken seriously, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. which was never the case uh, before. Then as uh, as uh, you know, 
uh, it was uh, in 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 two thousand in eleven where I from a scratch pretty much started to learn again how it is not to be in the government and and start you know adapting to the new realities where you're back to the opposition again. <laughs> And was that transition particularly difficult, or it was? You, you, it... Uh, it was. It was. Uh, uh, it was uh, due to many um, objective and uh, and um, subjective reasons, uh, particularly because it is. I mean, um, it it is less of a challenge to stay in the opposition when you have already a consolidated democracy, a working democracy. But when you mm. uh, when you all of a sudden um, have uh, uh, in power, uh, you know, Russian oligarch. Yeah. Then, uh, then being in the opposition is uh, a whole different story. Yeah. It's it it takes uh, lots of um, you know survival uh, work in uh, it, and then you also um, get confronted to the very ugly sides of politics. Unfortunately. And- if if we fast track a couple of years to your decision to do the GMAP, um, mm-hmm. can, can you share how, how that happened? And how, how, I guess also, how, how did it change you as well? Um, GMAP, um, uh, in, well, many would say, uh, I mean, isn't enough yet? Now for you, you know, to continue studying, and I mean, you are like uh, you've served as a member of parliament, and uh, and you are now vice minister of foreign affairs. I mean, really, you want to do something to study? Uh, but uh, but honestly, I was uh, I, be, I became member of parliament when I was um, uh, when I was twenty five, wow. uh, and uh, and I moved into the and I moved to the to you know, the foreign service. Uh, Mm, uh, four years later, and uh, I was always hunted by this uh, feeling of dissatisfaction that I still need to work on myself, uh, that it is just too early for me to stop educating myself. You know, it's just not enough to be in a high position. You need to you 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 need to strengthen your formal background. And uh, besides, I had my you know I had my initial education in Germany and mm, uh, was very eager to learn more about the United States and you know the way you, their way of living and thinking. Particularly when you're serving in the foreign foreign office, it uh, was also a pragmatically driven wish, you know, to extend the network and also geopolitical knowledge. Uh, and uh, GMAP seemed like the best choice ever because I lacked luxury, obviously, to leave the country for a longer period of time. And uh, this was offer a great mix uh, of uh, Studying there, but also staying, uh, staying in your home country, and and to do your service, and uh, and I also just um, my son was just born, so I could uh, I could not have you know left the country yeah. for like four for like two years or even a year, and GMAP is uh, I think definitely among the best things that happened to me. I remember the first meeting with the 
with the Dean Nutter, where she said, you will know so much more after completing this program. And, you know, and, I, uh, and uh, once I, once I um, completed it, I really realized, hmm, there are so many new things I've learned <laughs> and gained and so many skills and information. But the most valuable, and I'm sure you will agree, uh, on GMAP is that um, I have the sense of having gained friends for life. True. You know, yeah. people who you may people who may live on the other side of the map, you know, who you won't communicate with for months, uh, but whenever you reach out to them or whenever you connect, it's like no time has passed. True, true. Right? I fully agree with you. Yeah, okay. even people who are totally different backgrounds and that yes, in normal absolutely. life we would not be able to connect but there yeah. is some kind of a magic in the program where yeah even you and and this and and um, you know um, the period of studies or whatever is so intense you communicate so intensely with each other that it's it's like forever this is um, this is much more than just a network of like-minded people it's really a network of friends for life True, true. And so more recently you decided to, to um, uh, leave politics and go, go into academia. And c can you share, like, what prompted that? And mm. what, what are you, what, what, what is your vision? Like, what, what are you trying to achieve from this new, from this new um, platform, if I can call it like that? Um, in fact, um, I never really left politics. Uh, it, in my current work, both in academia and surely for the center, um, uh, my work is dedicated to politics and to political education and educating the civil society and the youth. Um, and you know, what I'm, in fact, what I'm trying is uh, uh, to make. Uh, people around me understand that everything that happens around us is politics. Uh, people tired of populism and politics often say, particularly here, they say, I want to live in a country where politics doesn't matter, you know, where uh, where people like in Switzerland, they live and you know, they don't know who their healthcare ministers or justice ministers, and I want to have a stable life. Well, you know, what I'm trying to explain is uh, whether it's schools of your children you complain about or ecology or uh, in your city or, you know, the garbage you dislike in front of your house. It's all politics. And the way we citizens perceive it or, you know, individual responsibilities towards the society we live in, they do matter. And this is all politics, in fact. What I uh, am currently uh what uh well i have distanced myself from the party politics in the sense that i no longer act on behalf of unm also a very painful decision uh after 17 years of being wow. an active member of this party and uh, have yeah governed with this party and have spent in opposition with this party a quite uh uh, yeah, a, a important um, period of time yeah. in in my life, but um, uh, but uh, I well, I I left the party because uh, uh, because uh, it is uh, a um, difficult struggle here, as I mentioned. Uh, again, it's a difficult uh, struggle here with the you know with the with the uh, 
force in government uh, um, that is no longer committed to a democracy. And when yeah. you are, when you are part of the uh, opposition, um, I believe you really need to do something in order to change the entire environment beneath yourself. Because if you continue uh, the way you used to, the change is not going to happen. And unless you change, I mean, it's really a, it's really a um, black and white fight. It's not, uh, it's not an, um, Georgia has no luxury now to have just an ideological fight and, you know, um, uh, disagreements on certain things uh, that are acceptable, more or less, to the to the entire society. It's a really big struggle, and the opposition, in my opinion, um, does little to really achieve to really um, to really transform itself, to really do something that would help the party rebrand itself, reestablish itself, gain new people, new forces to really change the government. And as long as this uh, this is not happening, I'm losing my interest within it. And uh, um, apart from that, uh, I've seen too many shortcomings within it, which I would like to work on from the outside as a, you know, uh, strengthening the civil society and educating this society yeah. on what uh, shortcomings are causing the political parties, you know, not to grow. It's, it sounds like you're almost going back to your roots of, of uh, when you had this civic uh, uh, awakening in when you were in georgia and and then had that emotion and the energy grow and you're you're kind of trying to bring that pretty much Georgians yeah. mm-hmm. as well and I, I feel i have to make a comment as well because you mentioned switzerland which is my, my country yeah. which has uh, very boring politics it's true but actually um people are very very politically engaged at all levels Absolutely. Um, yeah of course my, my my mother is part of her streets community association that really? agrees um the frequency of repainting the walls of the houses and various other things and this is really in the dna of of uh, of swiss people this very participative uh, approach uh, where Decisions take a long time. There's a lot of talking, but but at yeah. least there's consensus, and 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 the decision quality is generally quite high and quite inclusive. Yeah, well. absolutely, absolutely. This is this is just a you know lack of information. People people believe you know developed countries. Uh, it's just a you know given environment, but people need to do first something to achieve those you know that state. Yeah, of uh, of development. This is yeah. This is what I've been trying you now with my foundation to create a new generation of active citizens and opinion makers. You know, guided really by values and understanding that only the informed and responsible decisions can lead to a change. Yeah. It's a good platform for civic responsibility and also critical thinking, so that their ultimate decisions are based on their independent judgment and not on what the social environment is imposing yeah. on them. It's been really, really fascinating talking to you, uh, Nino. And and um, the impression I get is somebody whose 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 life was deeply shaped by by Georgian history, but who's been able to um, 
find her own way and make an impact and shape um, the discourse and the way politics is is done, which is which I find really uh, really really inspiring. And um, I, I wanted to ask you if you have anything you'd like to share, actually, um, before before we we wrap up. Um, it was uh, lovely to see you and to have this platform to interact uh, with uh, whoever will uh, join and and listen. And uh, I really, um, yeah, I mean, it's. Uh, uh, um, it's it's uh, always lovely to stay connected and uh, i on my part i'm just you know uh, i'm just trying to contribute to something better and i think uh, people who joined initially gmap uh, they all share pretty much uh, you know the same understanding uh, they want to um work on themselves in order to be able to contribute to something better uh, and um this is what I love about this program. This is what I love about the people there. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and um, again, this idea uh, from both of you was a brilliant one. And hope it it uh, will make us, you know, help us stay connected a little bit more and really get more information. I would love to listen to other people's uh, stories. Yeah. Great, super. Yeah, thank you. Please, thank please you share. Much. Make sure you share them. Yes, yes, we, yeah. we will. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks.